Welcome to Business Done Differently, where baseball team owner turned showman Jesse Cole speaks with successful entrepreneurs who stand out in business and in life by thinking differently and challenging the status quo. We believe whatever is normal, do the exact opposite, and that normal gets normal results. If you want to stand out and be different, this one's for you. Stepping up to the plate today from Vancouver, Canada, the man who's made junk sexy as the founder of 1-800-GUT-JUNK, and now he's turning ordinary to extraordinary with everything he touches. The author of WTF, Willing to Fail. He's been featured on Oprah and soon to be, at some point, Ellen. And please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Brian Scudamore. Awesome. Thanks, Jesse. Super stoked to be here. And I wish everybody could see the yellow suit you're wearing because when we did the video pre uh, message here, I just thought, you know, that is awesome stuff. I love that you're always in uniform, always branded, and it's phenomenal. So thanks for having me. Well, appreciate it. And I love what you're doing. Your book, as I hit a home run for us in the office here. And, you know, set a little context for the listeners. We met a couple months ago at MMT in Park City, sat down, had a nice breakfast, talked, and then read your book, was so fired up about it sent you a text and I was like, wait, it's like we're brother from another mother. We are speaking the same language about your crazy gorilla market. You're creating attention. So I'm just pumped to go into some of these stories, Brian, today. Awesome. And you know what? You're right. A shared sort of philosophy, if you will, of how we live life. And that's why I think we immediately hit it off. I had seen a video on you and certainly read some stuff about you before we met at MMT. So felt I was uh, meeting one of my rock stars when I got to connect with you. I, you know, for someone who's able to take a sport that has typically not had that entertainment value that you would with something like basketball, it's unbelievable what you've done. And I think that uh, anybody that can take that learning that both you and I share of stand out, you know, we were born to stand out, not fit in and have fun in what we're doing and make it show and customers are are attracted to that and they love doing businesses with people that have fun 100% and i think what the commonality we have is we're both trying to reinvent the way things have been done and you know seeing the way junk removal is done and now you're getting into your new brands and you know the old way and the status quo doesn't work and when you start doing things like that you create an amazing story and that's what your book has done and you know i'd love to know what's firing you up today because you can give a little context on how much you've grown the business but now you're going into whole different brands and really taking that to the next level and reinventing. Do you share a little bit of the context? Yeah. So what I'm fired up about always has been entrepreneurship, growing something much bigger and better together is my mandate. I mean, I love taking people that start in the call center, start in the trucks, and they grow to start their own franchise with one of our four brands. Nothing gets me more excited. So to give some context, I guess, the whole big picture, my parent company is called O2E Brands. That stands for Ordinary to Exceptional. We started by taking the ordinary business of junk removal and making it exceptional through customer experience. We're doing the same thing with windows and gutters, with Shack Shine, or moving with You Move Me, and then painting people's homes in a day. As much as people don't believe it's possible, it is possible with Wow One Day Painting. So what we're doing is building great brands, goal of a billion dollars in revenue, not because I'm a money guy by any means, but just some measurability to success in what we're building. 
And I love it. And I think it's that big vision. And obviously, you're a huge component of the Vivid Vision. You started it. And we'll talk about that a little later. But it started with guerrilla marketing. And I think, Brian, what I love, obviously, with the Savannah Bananas, I really think we should actually get guerrilla costumes and start going out in the community and doing actual guerrilla marketing. But um, and <laughs> yeah. we do a lot of things. We've mailed out bananas. I mean, we dress in banana costumes wherever we're out in, in the community. But you literally started by going out and doing crazy things. And if you could share a little bit, some of maybe some I don't know, but the Vegas story, the Canucks game, I think it was such a way to get your brain out there without spending a lot of money. Yeah, so maybe a little bit of history on how guerrilla marketing started for me. So what I did is I, I took my first pickup truck, built plywood sides on it, and I spray painted the phone number 738-JUNK on the side. So while today we're 1-800-GOT-JUNK as a national brand, our local phone number back in the day was 738-JUNK. I started parking that truck near my house at a sort of very visible intersection. And people would always say to me, oh, Brian, I see your trucks everywhere. Even though we only had one truck, they would notice that truck and it looked different than everybody else's. It had the biggest phone number you'd ever seen on the side. Then people would just comment, customers, how did you hear about us? I saw your truck. I've seen your big billboards driving around. And so it really made me believe that marketing is about standing out. So when we hit a bit of a lull in our business, not in terms of growth, but in terms of engagement with our franchise partners with 1-800-GOT-JUNK, first few years of franchising in the early 2000s. And our franchise partners said, we need something more professional. We need to have major TV advertising and radio and all that sort of stuff. And I said, we're too small of a business to afford it. And besides, I just think that stuff still blends in versus stands out. So one of my franchise owners said, okay, we need to sit down. We need to create a marketing plan. We need more professional stuff. I said, where is the city in North America that's the hardest to stand out in? And we came up with Las Vegas, bright lights, lots of you know stuff going on there, huge energy in that city. We figured if we could stand out in Vegas, we could stand out anywhere. So we gathered, I don't know, a dozen of our franchise owners and some key office, head office employees. We got on a plane, we flew to Vegas, and I said, we are going to stand out in Vegas, we're going to market ourselves in that city, and we're going to prove to ourselves that you can have guerrilla marketing on a low cost. We had uh, you know, these $26 bowling shirts with 1-800-GOT-JUNK emblazoned on the back and the front. We had temporary tattoos that we'd put on people's uh, hands and arms. And then we had these blue wigs, and the blue wigs were three bucks. So there we were, blue wigs, bowling shirts, and tattoos. We owned the Hard Rock Hotel where we were walking through, and everyone was coming up to us, and they thought we were rock stars, they thought we were a band, they thought we were on a bachelor party. They didn't know what was going on, but they came up and wanted to talk to us. By the end of the night, everybody had tattoos. We were heroes. We weren't wearing Armani suits for thousands of dollars. We were wearing cheap $29 outfits. And I showed my franchise partners, look, we can stand out on a budget. And this is the philosophy that's going to take us into the future, guerrilla marketing. You know, it's so important because I think many companies are so scared of doing things that are outrageous. And I always say, outthink, don't outspend. And you want to do what's traditional because the fear of doing outrageous things. But, you know, Brian, you got me actually thinking, my bachelor party was in Vegas many years ago, and we owned a team, uh, no longer owned them, but the Gastonia Grizzlies. And we unveiled the best dressed team in sports. We actually made tuxedo jerseys with collars. They were like a full tuxedo. 
So I had my 11 best men or groomsmen all wear those tuxedo jerseys, like the entire uniform down the streets of Vegas. I was in the yellow tuxedo. It was unbelievable the buzz that it created. We were invited everywhere. It was, they were like, what is going on? But again, it was just fun. And I think what you embraced was we're going to be ridiculous. We're going to have fun. And I just, I feel so many businesses are too scared to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, businesses are scared and businesses, too often people put their egos ahead of their business and they say, oh, I'm too worried what people are going to think about me. I'm talking to a guy right now on this on this uh, <laughs> podcast who has seven yellow suits. Now, I love because I know you take your business seriously. I know you're a brilliant guy, but you just don't take yourself too seriously. And that's where business owners need to get out of their comfort zone and do something different. One of the books that inspired me in the early days was Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Yes. And he said he was on a train in France with the family, black and white cow after black and white cow. And he just said, imagine if there was one purple cow. You would take pictures of it. You'd put it on your Instagram. You'd tell your friends, your family. It would get on the news. You know, it's that one little sort of shift in thinking, like you said, outthink. Yeah. That's what gets people to grow and become great brands. You know, Brian, I get asked this question a lot. I'm sure you know, when you're speaking it out, you guys were so innovative back in the day and doing things like getting in the track suits and wearing blue wigs and there's fake tattoos everywhere. But everyone says to me, oh, I can't be like that. My people are introverts. But I guess I struggle too with this answer because what do you tell people in the sense of, hey, you just got to do it. You got to be a little different. Maybe you don't need to get in a yellow tuxedo. Maybe you don't need to wear blue wigs, but you got to think of ways that are going to stand out versus others. What do you tell people or how do you tell your franchise owners to do things that are a little different? I just tell people to stop caring so much. <laughs> you know, my own personal vehicle is a little Toyota pickup truck and I've wrapped the heck out of it. It's got all our brands on it. It almost looks like a NASCAR. It's done tastefully, great design. But, you know, I just don't care because I know that people are going to see it, think about it, talk about it. I'll always, wherever I go, if I'm going to a restaurant or a coffee shop, I make sure I find the best parking spot based on the fact that the most eyeballs will see it. My franchise partners that might be driving just a regular SUV without branding, they're doing themselves a disservice. 100%. A, right off the vehicle by wrapping it, and B, you can get people to notice you and see the pride you feel in your brands. Yeah. So my advice is just don't let people care so much about these things. Take your business. <laughs> don't take yourself so seriously. And you know, it's a tough thing to talk about, but the power of self-promotion and people don't like to talk about that because it seems like selfish. You're all in your own bubble. But think of the greats and my biggest mentors, you know, go back P.T. Barnum and Walt Disney. They were the biggest self-promoters in the world. And Walt Disney is looked upon like this amazing person who made a you know, huge impact in the world. Yet he was always talking about his movies, his animations, Disney World, everything he was doing. I think we had to get over our fear. And like, if you're so passionate about something, you talk about it all the time, the world needs more of that. They need people that have the enthusiasm and the energy to talk about what they love. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think being an entrepreneur is also being a showman. You've got yes. to get out there and show the world what you're doing to change it. You got to show the world what you're doing to make an impact. And if it means telling stories, standing out, it's all part of the deal. You know, Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, a couple of my favorites, right? Yeah. They're always talking about what they're doing to change the world. Mm -hmm. And as entrepreneurs, what a gift we've got to be able to do some really cool, fun things and inspire others. You got to promote always. 100%. I want to get a little practical because, you know, you talked a lot about at the beginning of the book, 
how you got the press. I mean, you generated so much press and it was almost as simple as picking up the phone. And uh, I'd love to share just like how practical that is. And then maybe also, Brian, how it's changed a little bit. You know, when you first started, you had the story, you were looking for a job, you could share a little bit of that. But now, you know, your business is mature. How are you creating that buzz and, and generating that now? I think the first media hit we ever had was on the front page of our local newspaper, our, our big city daily paper. And my girlfriend at the time said, oh, you're always talking about your business. And I think you should reach out and call the press and tell them what you're doing. You're a high school dropout. You talked your way into college. There's kind of a cool story here. And I said, OK, I'll try. I picked up the phone and I convinced myself in my own mind that I had a great story. So I, when the news desk answered, I said, I got an awesome story for you. And they said, OK, what is it? shoot. And I told them just about how I'd started the business. And it was a great way to pay for college and that I'd made a bunch of money in a short period of time. And they put me on the front page with my truck. Whoever puts a phone number of a brand into uh, a newspaper, they did ours. They put it on the front page because it was on our truck as the big mobile billboard. And so that taught me, wow, the power of press and anything from the Oprah Winfrey show, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, we got out there and we'd pick up the phone and call. And we'd just tell them, I got a great story idea for you. Every entrepreneur, every person listening to this podcast has a great story. How many of them are picking up the phone and really cold calling the press? Maybe not many, but it's an opportunity to really tell the story to the public in a way that doesn't cost you a penny. Now, Jesse, you asked, how has the world changed? There are, as we all know, way fewer journalists traditional journalists than there ever used to be, and all the big media outlets have laid people off. You've got people now with Facebook, Instagram, all the social platforms, everyone's their own journalist mm. and telling stories. So there's so much more noise and it's hard for the great stories to stand out. We see things going viral on YouTube and so on. It's harder to get the traditional press, but it's still one of those things where you got to work it, you got to pick up the phone, you never know what you'll get unless you ask. You know, my book came out recently and I was on a PR trip to New York and I went out to do CNBC and I thought, what other stuff can I drum up while I'm there? And I went to some friends of friends and somehow got connected to someone from the NASDAQ who was their chief digital officer. And hours later, there's my WTF willing to fail book, you know, larger than life, literally up on a billboard in Times Square. No cost just for asking. So the PR world has changed, but you create your own luck and opportunity. So wait, you just called someone you knew and they put you up there for the free advertising? So what I did is I actually reached out to a bunch of different people saying, hey, I know you're in New York. We've met before. I'm coming to New York. I figured you might know some great people in the PR world. And one of those people, I reached out to a ton. I was actually on the plane when I was emailing and this one guy said, oh, I'll put you in touch with my buddy who's the chief digital officer marketing officer for the NASDAQ. We'll see if he can write a story on you. And he said, yeah, we'll write a story on you. And we're going to put your giant book up on a big billboard in, in Times Square. It was magical. And it's one of those things, again, you never know what you'll get unless you ask. And if you're not working the phones and working the email and trying to promote, you don't have the opportunity to make your own opportunity. And once you actually have a relationship, what I've noticed at the local level here, and you know, I'm really passionate about being loved over just being liked. And we focus so hard in the Savannah area to be loved. And we've built the relationship with the media that literally when we just say, hey, we have a story to announce, they will say what time and they'll come. And I remember even last year, we were announcing a player signing. 
but it wasn't a player. It was my wife and I were having our first baby, Maverick. Uh, and so we did a whole staged press conference and just to announce our baby. <laughs> and, and it was oh on the gosh. news. It was on the news that night, but it made it a great story. It was fun. And it was based on the relationship. So from a local level, you know, you really got to connect and give them great stories. But the national level, it sounds like it's just a game of persistence. It's a game of persistence. It's a game of being creative. It's a game of, it is a bit of a numbers game. Yes. And you really, you know, Wayne Gretzky, I'm a Canadian and a big yes. hockey fan. He used to say, skate to where the puck is going to be. You've got to be skating to places where you know you can see an opportunity could be created. Mm. And I think that's how magic happens. Yeah. Just to note, you know, one thing I've talked about a lot and share with you back at MMT, you know, our big goal, our big dragon we're trying to slay is changing the game of baseball and dramatically starting something new where the game is faster, more exciting, because there's a serious problem. And what I've been doing for the last year and a half is saving every single article written about the problems of the game, the challenge of the game, how long it is, and keeping all those journalists information. So then as soon as we're ready to get our announcement, reaching out with a full blitz to all of them from the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. So it is a little bit also playing the long game. It is. And you know what, that just gave me an idea. So thank you. I'm reminded of something that I did in the earlier days was we would keep articles from journalists that we really connected to that we could see they would do a story on us, mm. keeping all those. So again, when we have the right announcements, when we've got the right pitches, being able to go back to those people and say, hey, I really loved your story about this. Mm. And uh, great opportunity. No, I love it. And again, just you're going to it's it's not emailing, it's calling. It's oh, I do a lot of personal videos from the stadium and the tux. You know, it's reaching out in different ways. So obviously, I gravitated that because you were an actual practitioner, and people talk about it, they don't always do it. But I want to move on because you do so many other cool things. First of all, just a little side here: your experience with the Wizard of Ads. You built this character up like this mythological, <laughs> like this crazy <laughs> character, and I was like, I kept picturing this like wizard, and uh, I mean, just yeah. literally in his own layer. Can you just share a little bit about your experience and how that's kind of changed your copywriting? Yeah, so the Wizard of Ads, Roy H. Williams, he's become an incredible friend. I go down to his his academy once or twice a year in Austin, Texas. So he's got this almost this ranch that he's created. It's a nonprofit business school. They teach things like how to story tell and, mm -hmm. and lessons from the magical world. And they've got all these great things that they do. And now Roy looks a bit like a wizard, longer flowing white hair and a big <laughs> white goatee or beard. And um, he's quite the introvert and he's a very interesting, eclectic guy. But what I love about him is his claim to fame is nobody's bought more radio on the planet than him. Mm -hmm. He writes radio creative. He's got about... 53 different partners of his that work for different clients across the world. And what Roy does so well is we met him years ago and he sat down and said, okay, I understand your business and I'm going to create some radio ads. He said, the one deal is when I come back to you with your first ad, you're not allowed to change a word. And I said, oh, okay, well, that seems strange. I hope he gets it perfect as he <laughs> makes it sound. And he came back with an ad and I said, you know what, there's just one word here that doesn't quite resonate with me. And I don't even remember what the word was. And I requested that it be changed. He said, really, you want to stop working together this early in the relationship? And I said, okay, you're serious. We won't change the word. And he said, I picked that word specifically to get a reaction, specifically for the sound of that word and how it fit. And I thought, if there's a guy that goes to that level of detail in choosing words to write magical ads, Hey, he's got to be the right guy. And 
seven years later, we're working with him and our business has grown exponentially because of the radio ads he's helped us to create. But he's also done things like helped us write our book. Mm. He's our uh, my co-author. Mm. He's a great friend and he's added marketing magic and, and ideas to our all four brands over the years. And it's been a lot of fun. I love it. Are there any unique things that he does with some of the ads that really stand out, you know, little tricks that, uh, cause I mean, radio, we've started going to it cause now it's kind of gone away. You know, we go to where people aren't paying attention as much and then creating different, but I'm wondering what are some things that have really popped for you or any ads you were like, wow, this made a huge difference. Yeah. There's not one magic thing. Cause you know, what Roy ended up telling us when we were running our first set of ads, he said, there's a period called the chickening out period, which is about 12 weeks in where you go as the owner, the franchise owner who's running the ads in their market or us running them nationally. And he says, you go, wow, it hasn't really done much to move the needle. We're spending a lot of money here. Mm. And he said that will happen every single time. You got to stick with it. And something magical happens at about 24 to 26 weeks where it then kicks into gear. The flywheel momentum starts to happen. Mm. So I don't know what he's doing to the ads because I hear different clients with completely different ads and so it doesn't seem like there's anything formulaic at all. With our ads, what he does, uh, with anyone I believe, is he just understands the person and their story and how to convey that. So with us, it's happy magic. Mm. It's trying to convey a personality, a magical element in our business. So with 1-800-GOT-JUNK as an example, our radio ads, we spend $10 million on radio. We get a huge return on it. All of our ads are basically some variation of just point and junk disappears. Hmm. You know, everyone knows you can't point and make junk disappear, but somehow the radio ads create a feeling, sort of a Willy Wonka-ish feeling where you go, wow, it's kind of like magic. It's so easy how 1-800-GOT-JUNK does this that it's almost like magic. And so the genius behind the ads, Roy, is really just a guy that understands our business and picks the right recipe each and every time. You know, you're speaking, when you start mentioning Willy Wonka, Brian, you're, you're definitely speaking my language. Like, I literally imagine, like, turning our whole stadium into this, you know, Wonka land, like, literally with bananas everywhere and making it a magical experience. So you got me going there. But I think that happy magic is something that, you know, obviously Disney has almost owned the word magic, but it's such an uh, amazing feeling. And, you know, you think about the story that you're creating and how do you make people feel. And that's what the ad, when you're saying point and the junk's gone, I can amazingly feel like this relief, this stress is gone and it's magic. And if you can make people feel a certain way from an ad, it's game over. Yeah, I think, you know, businesses, when I say that people like doing business with people who have fun, it's because they like doing business with brands that make them feel positive, that make them feel a certain way. You know, one of my favorite businesses, which is a, such a simple seeming business, Starbucks, coffee, I go there every morning. If I'm traveling anywhere in the world, I go for my coffee. And you just feel like you've got friendly baristas who are behind the counter, who treat you with respect, mm. who give you a nice smile. They know how to make your drink quickly. They make it easy. And so I think brands are about how they make you feel. 100%. And uh, I think people can learn from that. You know, how do you take a company? It doesn't matter whether you're in some commercial construction business or you're in electric cars. How do you make people feel? is everything. Yes, 100%. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your people and how, you know, you really hit home with me, the heart of the founder. And before you talked about the four H's, you know, you people that are happy, hungry, hardworking, and hands-on. But the heart of the founder is like, you know, everyone wants their people to have ownership. And some of the stories with the tattoos and wrapping the cars are brilliant. But how do you get people to 
really feel that. And we talked a little bit back about how you do some of your interviewing, but how do you get people to have the heart of the founder in those four H's? Yeah, I think I guess the easiest place to start is I say, how do you find great people? Well, I throw the question back to people and I go, how do you find friends? And they say, well, you just kind of meet with people and it, the chemistry is there and it just works. You don't pull out a checklist and go, yeah, they like the same kind of beer. They like the same sports teams. You don't go through an interview process trying to find friends. I think corporate America, something we don't do very well sometimes is the way we interview people. We make it so formulaic. Yeah. You know, I didn't like the way they answered this question. <laughs> you put them in a nervous environment. It's uncomfortable. They're going from person to person to person getting grilled. You know, if you make it fun, if you make it relaxed and you pretend I'm trying to find a new friend here, do I like this person? Are they interesting? Are they interested? Do they have a shared passion? I think the key is, do they have a shared passion? And for us, that shared passion is growing something, building something bigger and better together. We aren't people that like to do things alone. We, we like the fun atmosphere of building something together. Our office is a very big open office environment. You know, we take culture very seriously. So how do you get to the heart of a founder? How do you find out if they've got one? It's like looking for friends. Are they someone that's got a shared passion for building something? Can you see that they get lit up about opportunity? You, you mentioned Walt Disney earlier, one of my favorites as well. And the quote we've got up of his in our office is, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. <laughs> I want people here who want to try and do the impossible. <laughs> I have a custom-made poster right behind my desk with Walt Disney, and it's a picture of him says Vision, and it's kind of fun to do the impossible. I told you, man, exactly. we're, we're the same, <laughs> same, 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 yeah. Yeah, same, same thread, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Now, you mentioned your office a few times, and you call it the junction, correct? Correct. The junction. junction with a K. Yes. So, right. uh, yeah. Perfect. Exactly. So the junction, you mentioned open office. I think office is so important. I mean, we, we call ourselves a family here, a fans first family. We're very, very close, but we're in an old storage building, which again, goes back to our roots with how we started in a picnic table in the storage building. But I'd love to know a little bit more of your office. Obviously, the can you imagine wall is brilliant, but some of the other things, what makes your office unique? We have one central point of the office. It's our huddle room. So we gather every single day. Someone rings. There's a couple of big marine bells around the office, and they get rung at about 10.52, 10.53. Everybody gathers at 10.55 a.m. sharp. Vancouver, we've also got our Toronto office, which participates by video. And we all gather, a stand-up meeting for seven minutes to celebrate each other, to celebrate successes, wins. Um, we talk about the failures, right? I can't write a book, WTF, and not talk about failures. So in our stand-up meeting, where are we making mistakes? What's going wrong? Where are we stuck? What do we need to fix? And it's just this environment where we, we start with a good news, we end with a cheer, and it has people going back to their desks in this open office space, feeling good about that daily pulse, where we're going, how we're going to get there. And then when you look around the office, storytelling everywhere. I'm such a massive fan, as you can tell, on storytelling. <laughs> And we've got photos that are up on the wall as big vinyl decals that tell stories, stories of persistence and tenacity, stories of failures. And it's one of those things where you see these things, you can't help as a new employee to not sort of through osmosis, pick up the culture and be a part of the family, the group that we're building together. Mm, it's brilliant. You know, we'd say when we're interviewing people in like 10 years, we want them to tell the stories like, you know, when we opened up in 2016, like they were there. 
And to do that, you have to repeat the story, share them over and over again to feel a part of it. Because there's only three of us that started out on that abandoned storage building on a picnic table, but everyone, because we've shared the stories, but it sounds like you're actually visually putting it in around the entire office. Yeah, big quotes. Love it. Things that motivate and inspire all over the office. Brian, just a quick question. How do you have, with all these employees, how do you get this done within seven minutes? How many people talk during that seven minute you know, stand-up meeting? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a format. And if anyone ever wanted to see it, they just go to Google and type 1-800-GOT-JUNK-HUDDLE or O2E Brands Huddle and you'll get to see one. Okay. But it's a simple process, starting with good news, key numbers. Someone does a section called In the News where it's a different person every single day talking for 90 seconds about what's going on in their department and how they're driving forward towards the vision. And really, this seven-minute process is someone that whoever's the huddle master for the day, and it's a different person every single day because we're building a company of leaders, so you put some people up there that are terrified of public speaking, but they give it a go and make it happen. And it's really just a process. So bit by bit by bit, you're able to get it done in seven, maybe eight minutes if someone's not paying attention. But it's an incredibly important rhythm in our day. I love it. I love it. All right. I've been grilling you with some questions. So I'm going to allow you now to, we're going to flip the script, Brian. You are the host of Business Done Differently. And you can ask me any one question. Yeah, I would love to know your philosophy then. Of course, I've read about you and seen some videos and got to meet you in person. But I'd love to hear a little more of your standing out purple cow-ish type philosophy. I mean, a guy who's wearing a yellow suit each and every day, that takes courage. But Tell me why it's so important to you and tell me a little bit more about your philosophy. Yeah, well, I mean, basically, you go back three years ago, you know, my wife and I were sleeping on an airbed. We had to sell our house and we had emptied out our savings account to make this team work here in Savannah. It's because we weren't creating attention. We were doing tons of marketing, but we weren't creating attention and we knew we had to go over the top. So that's when we decided we're going to name the team the Savannah Bananas have a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas, make every single ticket all you can eat at the ballpark, and then build our whole business on a fans first experience, which is the over the top experience and wow our fans when they come to the ballpark from having parking penguins, people dressed like penguins parking you to having a pep band greeting you when you're coming in the stadium to having our Banana Nanas dancing, you know, people dressed in banana costumes, ripping your banana shaped ticket that smells like scratch and sniff bananas. I mean, we went into this whole everything into building the brand. And that's how we do everything. How do we create attention? You know, literally a couple of years ago, we offered President Obama an internship after his term was over to work with the bananas. So all of this gets people knowing that our brand is not normal. It's a little different but that's who we are. You mentioned fun, magic. That's everything for us. We're creating this fun and it's based on this fan's first experience. So the yellow tux is part of it. You know, people can't take me that too seriously when I'm around town and even when I'm going to speak, right? I'm in an airport in this. People are like, what is wrong? But it's who we are and it's fun. So <laughs> I think that's the most elaborate question I've got to ask. Usually it's why the tuxedo, but you went in depth there because it's more of the mantra that we believe we could be the most fans first company in the world. And by literally bringing people together, caring for them like family and putting on a show like they've never seen before. And that's kind of what we're building to these days. And we've done the vivid vision that you actually you know, pretty much started years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. I love the answer to the question. Can I ask one more? <laughs> Breaking the rules. I like it. That's how we do it. All right. One more. But then I'm going to ask you a few more. We're going to keep going. Okay. Okay, good. I'm going to ask you one quick one. Right. What media hit of all the press you've had, because you've had some awesome stuff, what are you most proud of? What's one hit that you just go, yeah, that was the one that really stands out? Ooh, great question. You know, I first think about MSNBC doing a big feature on us, but 
I think this one surprise was CNN when they covered our breakdancing first base coach. CNN headline news. There's no reason wow. CNN headline news should be showing a college summer baseball team, but they showed our breakdancing first base coach doing the moonwalk during a game because he does all the sit-ups. That was probably one of the biggest surprises, but there's been a while. I mean, we were number one trending on Twitter when the Savannah Bananas came out ahead of Donald Trump on the date of a, a Republican debate. I mean, it was crazy. So oh, we, we've geez, had fun. Awesome. But again, it's like you're only as good as your last at bat. So what we're thinking about, what is that next one? What is that next big thing that we can do to stay relevant? Because that's why I was so intrigued by you, Brian. It's like after many years, how are you still creating the tension? It's really easy to kind of, wow, we're growing like leaps and bounds, but we're not doing the things that we did when they're beginning. We weren't bootstrapping as much. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me do that. No, that's <laughs> it. All right. All right. Finish with some lightning rounds here. All right. What about this? I'm going to go back to you. This is a crazy train. We'll call this segment. What's something you've done that people would say is absolutely crazy? Ooh, what's crazy? You know, I mean, maybe a negative one. I mean, I do a lot of crazy sort of adrenaline type things, but a crazy one from a negative business side, which turned out to be a massive positive. I had a Starbucks executive, an ex-president of Starbucks running my business this was 2007, 2008. We fell 40 million in revenue in one year. Mm. We came close to bankrupting the business and I got that person out of the business. Now, why it was crazy was everyone around me in my business, my franchise owners all thought I was crazy because they thought that I'd hit the gold mine, the jackpot in having this person on board. They just didn't know what I knew and that our visions weren't aligned enough and we couldn't get there. And so the change had to happen. They've all come around since then and said, you know what? It was a bold move and it was the right one. And thank goodness you did it. And that's what leaders have to do. And that's probably grown your culture tremendously now because everyone says, hey, this person didn't fit. And now you're getting closer to finding people that always fit. 100%. Love it. I love it. All right. I want to go to questions because I think the questions we ask are so important these days. And if you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. What are some of the best questions you're asking? Whether, you know, are you reaching out to potential mentors, people that are, have achieved success? And what questions are you asking people these days? My number one question, I just want to know, and I can ask it in a million different ways, but at the core, it's what drives you? What makes you tick? Mm. I want to understand what makes someone who they are and what their life's mission is. You know, Simon Sinek would say, Mm. talk about your why. I want to know someone's why. I want to know at their core, what is really unique to them and why they're here on this planet. Mm. And I think that was a powerful thing about the MMT conference. You know, it cut through all the surf on the surface questions and really started digging in and people meeting after a day or two, we were getting into deep conversations like that. I wish more people could dive into that instead of asking how the weather is and how busy was their day. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. You know, customer service is a huge thing. We didn't talk too much about with what you guys are doing, but either you or something that you experienced. I'd love to know what's the best customer experience that you've either seen one of your people deliver or that you've done or your experience? Oh, man, I've had so many that it's uh, (laughs) on the spot, hard to come up with. So here's what I love. I love when someone just goes out of their way to make sure you're smiling. And at the end of the day, they're just making you happy. I mean, you know, the other day I was on a flight, I was exhausted, I was in New York. And uh, I just felt like, oh, you know, I'm I always fly economy because that's what I do. And our whole company flies economy. But it was just one of those extra long days of seeking press and going from interview to interview. (laughs) And uh, this woman just called my name and pulled me aside and and gave me this boarding pass saying, you know what, we upgraded you. And I'm just like, oh, man, you made my day. But it was just in how she presented it to me. And she was busy. I just love that feeling of um, 
she could tell I was having a hard day and I was tired and the flight was a little delayed. And so sometimes it's just those extra moments that are touching. Um, That's great. Yeah, I'm sure I've got better stories. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I am like, okay, where do I start? You know, it's so tough because a lot of times I ask that question and people can't think of things. And, and to me, that means they're not have it happening on a regular basis, that there's such a huge opportunity there. But what you got me thinking there, Brian, was, you know, you're traveling and sometimes people are just traveling every day. Sometimes they're traveling on vacation. And I thought about when I was in Puerto Vallarta many years ago, and I was sitting down there and this young woman came over and said, here, would you like a cooling towel? And like, it was a hot day, a cooling towel to put on my neck. And then they came over with, you know, little popsicles and things like that. I was like, what if everyone treated people like you were on vacation, you know, every day? Mm -hmm. And it's this different type of service. And I was blown away by that. So we actually brought the cooling towels back to the stadium, started giving those out to fans. But I wish it was more of an everyday type thing as opposed to once in a while, you'll get treated like that. I agree with that 100%. I was at CNBC getting makeup put on. And the woman who was doing my makeup, she goes, Oh, what? Why are you here? And I said, Oh, I started a company 1 800 got junk. She started to cry. Tears rolled down her face. And I'm like, Uh oh, what did we do? And she said, Your guys are angels. She said, My parents passed away. You guys came in, took six loads of junk out, had such a heart the way you did it. The guys were tired. They needed to go home at the end of the day, but they didn't complain. And they just said, You know what? You've got to get this stuff out today. We're here. And they worked till midnight. And so, she was just so touched. And so my favorite customer experience stories are the ones that circle back to me, where I am hearing about the job that our company promises to do and delivers upon. And that I'm sure like you feels feels great. Mm. And the visual there, we talk about that all the time. It's it's happy tears. And we had a seven year old uh, fan that had a big sign at our ball game was holding it up with a picture of me in a tuxedo and all of our, our bananas players. And he goes, I'm your biggest fan. I'm your biggest fan. And I took a selfie with him and he got so excited. I told him I was going on Facebook and I came back. I got a signed bat from the entire team. I went down to a knee and delivered to him. And he started, his eyes just started bawling. And he goes, don't worry. Don't worry. These are happy tears. They're happy <laughs> tears. And his mother was crying. And after the game, he stayed for the entire game, which is rare these days in baseball. But he ran up to me and gave me the biggest hug and said it was one of the best nights of his life. And that happened this past season. It's a visual I'll never forget. But just as you invoke those, you know, how many times are we creating those happy tear moments? It's such a powerful emotion and it really means a lot. So thank you for bringing that back out of me and maybe realize again what I love doing what I'm doing. So yeah, he'll keep that bat forever. You know it, right? It, yeah. It's such I, an amazing I, thing. And I'll keep that picture, that photo yeah. that he gave me that has as much meaning as for sure the bat does. But Oh, that's awesome. All right, Brian, we're going to finish up here with some favorites and then our final four. So we'll bang through some favorites. I'm intrigued on this. Favorite part of your morning routine? Favorite part is getting up at 5.55. My alarm goes off and just excited to start the day. The first thing I do before checking email is I log my intention for the day on my phone. And the intention could be to make sure I get a workout in today because it's a busier day and I've got to have extra high energy. It could be to make sure that I'm really paying attention and connecting with people when I see them in the office. It isn't just a, hey, good morning and walking past. It's taking a moment to pause and connect with them, but it's logging my intention each and every day. Love it. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Glass of red wine. Had <laughs> a baby. <laughs> Excellent. Favorite book that stands out? Favorite book. So I, I'm a unique entrepreneur in the sense that I have a real hard time reading. I grew up uh, very, had reading comprehension problems. I love books. I want to be able to read them. I've got so many books on my bookshelf. I'm, my wife is an avid book reader. I'm an avid book buyer. The one classic that stands out in my mind that I always recommend to everyone who's an entrepreneur is The E-Myth Revisited yes. by Michael Gerber. Yes. Yeah, Excellent. Absolutely. How to systematize your business. Love it. Favorite restaurant? 
Favorite restaurant is anything in Italy or France. My two favorite types of food. And to me, I'm not about the brand of restaurant. I'm not about a specific location. I'm about eating in a place where it's just authentic. So, you know, a little restaurant in the countryside of France, that would probably be my choice. Love it. What about favorite business conference? Favorite business conference. So for me, every year I do something called Birthing of Giants. It's an MIT entrepreneur organization joint partnership. And we did a three-year class where we graduated. And then it turned into a reunion class that I was part of putting together. And we're now in our 18th year, 60 high growth entrepreneurs connecting together every single year, very much similar to MMT. So MMT would be a close second, uh, only because I found it later in life. (laughs) It's the environment you surround yourself with. Outstanding. All right, Brian, our final four. What's one thing you've done to stand out in business and in life? Be myself. I think that, you know, in this Instagram, social media (laughs) world, people aren't necessarily real. You know, you're always you're taking 100 photos to get to that one perfect photo that shows how happy everyone is in the world. Well, to me, that's not reality. I think people need to just be themselves and show their weaknesses as well as their strengths. And, you know, my whole book being entitled WTF willing to fail. I do not mind calling out the failures. I love it. What advice would you give to someone just starting out in business to help them stand out? Number one piece of advice is, uh, first of all, just start something. Don't be stuck on, oh, I got to find the perfect idea, the first perfect app. Just start something, get going, and then start thinking about the standing out second. Start thinking about how to stand out once you've got something and look at yourself versus companies like you, right? You know, how did the Savannah Bananas do it? Steal everything out of your book. (laughs) Your quote that really made an impact, I shared with my email list and on social, the secret to success is to get started before you are ready. And that is so powerful, Brian. And I recently just said, I did a video, you know, don't wait, set the date. Set the date when you're going to do something and make it happen. And I'll tell you that, that just start is such powerful advice. So great stuff there. And then the final two here, what's the best advice you've received? It's uh, a fellow named Greg Brophy, who was a mentor of mine, who started a company called Shred It. He just said, never, ever, ever compromise on the quality of people you bring into your organization. Mm -hmm. Powerful. And finally, how do you want to be remembered? I just wanted to be remembered as a, a nice guy who uh, loved growing businesses and loved growing people. You know, to me, I'm not a money guy. I'm not motivated by things. I'm motivated by great people who have great memories of the life work we've done together. Oh, amazing. Brian Scudamore, the book is WTF Willing to Fail. Brian, you've made an unbelievable impact on so many entrepreneurs, myself, our team as well. And I want to thank you for being on the show, sharing some of your wisdom, but also how can people learn more, connect with you and you know, find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, I think if you put my name into Google, you'll find your, uh, your place of choice and you know, put Brian Scudamore in there. You've got at Brian Scudamore for Instagram is one of my favorites or uh, O2EBrands.com. Yes is our company website. Outstanding. Brian, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me, Jesse. So much fun. Thank you for listening to Business Done Differently with Jesse Cole, the Yellow Tux Guy. If you love the show, let Jesse know by leaving a review on iTunes or sending him an email at jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. For more information on the guests and topics of this episode, visit findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.